What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host, and I am joined here by a very special guest. He's a very good friend of mine, Mr. Mike Carter of Fantrax and Nine Inning Know-It-All. You can find him over on Twitter at MDRC0508. He's joining us today for the first of our hopefully all 30 team previews here going over. If you know, Mike, you know who we're going to be talking about already. The Chicago White Sox. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Joe, it's a pleasure to be back on with you. And we, I know we did a show that together last year about this time. It was a blast. And, uh, you know, congratulations to you for all the stuff that you're working on and the impact that you're having on the community of ba- fantasy baseball. I mean, every day you got something new out and uh, you're grinding and and being a student and doing all the other things that you got on top of it. So kudos to you. I'm glad to be back with you and uh, talk a little bit about my beloved, deeply flawed Chicago White Sox. It's been a grind, but if if I didn't love baseball, I couldn't do it. If it was, you know, if this was a politics podcast or an environmental podcast or something, there's no way I could do it every single day. But at the end of the day, I'm just setting up the mic, hitting record, talking baseball for half an hour, an hour. So there's a lot harder things that I could be doing. Uh, I mentioned it briefly off the top, uh, the sites that you work for, but I didn't mention your podcast. You want to just let everybody know about the stuff that you got going on. You dropped an article this morning. Maybe you want to touch on that. Yeah, sure. So thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. So uh, I did start a a podcast this past winter with uh, Carlos Marcano and Chris Torres over uh, called the Fantasy Baseball Beat. It's over at the uh, Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Network. And what we're trying to do on a weekly basis is get different beat reporters to come on and talk with us about the teams that they cover. It's a pretty simple concept. Kind of go through the good, the bad, and the ugly of what they witnessed last year. Talk a little bit about the clubhouse. Maybe also talk a little bit about some fantasy baseball prospects for us and and get some playing time conundrums answered and, and have them get an opportunity to talk. And our feeling really is that the people that really know best outside of the people that are involved on the teams and in management with the teams are the people who are covering the teams on a daily basis. And so we try to stick it to about 30 to 40 minutes with those folks and then put our own little fantasy spin on it. As you know, Torres is his own man too. He's got to do some riffing at the beginning. Um, he's usually cutting on me uh, at some point in the show for uh, something about Tony Larusa or something about Lurie Garcia He's always got to get a word in. I never know when it's coming, but it's been a blast. It's a really great time. I mean, how could you say no when you get invited to be on a podcast with Carlos Marcano and Torres? I mean, you can't say no. So we're having a great time with it. We have no idea if people are really going to pay attention to it or if they're going to really be listening to it. But uh, we're having a really good time with it. And um, I've got two new friends in the process, which is pretty sweet. So we're doing real, doing really good job with that. Uh, and I obviously, I, I do write about the bullpens for Fantrax. I did drop a, a a quick piece this morning, thanks to Eric and Doug at Fantrax for having me on there, talking a little bit about some unheralded relievers who could take on larger roles this year. So if you get a chance to read that, take a look at it. It won't take you any more than five to seven minutes to read. That's about as much time as you want to spend with anything I do anyway. So, um, yeah, that's about it for me. Mike, you are you are too funny. Anything that you write or are on is worth listening to, which is why, of course, we like to get you on the show as much as we can so we can get some people listening in. Of course, when we're talking about White Sox, there's not really anybody else in the industry that I would want to be talking to other than yourself. Now, like we mentioned uh, over Twitter, there is actually quite a few fantasy-relevant names here on the White Sox that we're going to get into. I was going through roster resource, and I figured we could just start at the top of the lineup. I think that makes the most sense here. Tim Anderson is projected to lead off. I think that makes sense that he is going to lead off. What are your thoughts for him this season coming off of what is generally considered a disappointing uh, 2022 campaign? Yeah, it was definitely disappointing, Joe. I mean, he um, when he was able to play, he played well. The problem was that he didn't get to play enough, right? So you have a guy that only played about 79 games last year and is not a young guy anymore. I mean, he's 29. Um, he had the broken hand towards the end of the season. He, um, We thought he was going to be able to come back at a certain point. He wasn't really able to, to make it back. And so the thing about Tim, though, I think, is that he's really the pulse of this team. I mean, when he's not around, when he's not the – in the lineup at the top of the lineup and playing shortstop, they really suffer. And I I really felt last year that his being absent really left something missing there. And quite honestly, I think it's fair to say this too. And I I don't know what he would say if asked about it, but I thought the beginning of the season, he was really disappointing in terms of his leadership and kind of what they really were, were, you know, looking for from him. This is a guy who years past had been talking about, you know, 
sort of reinventing the way that people look at the game of baseball. And, and he's an African-American guy. He's very well-spoken. He's very intelligent and talked about sort of recreating the game. And then last year he got off to a really bad error streak. He, he was having a hard time in the field that kind of carried over to the plate. I know there was a lot of talk that he was having some personal turmoil off the field with family stuff. And these guys are human beings, right? I mean, so anybody who's going through personal turmoil at home in any line of work is going to struggle. I don't care if you're a professional baseball player or a teacher, whatever you might be, right? So I think if they get him back healthy and they can get 125 to 130 games out of him, that this is a guy that could pretty easily return to a 2020 threat in terms of home runs and uh, stolen bases. And his current ADP, I think, is about 90. Uh, earlier in, in the winter, it was uh, as high as 79. So it seems like people are kind of hedging on him a little bit. But I, I think where he's going, um, there's a real good chance to provide value outside of the top five shortstops that are there. He's supposedly healthy going into the season. So we'll be looking for that. I an- anticipate he'll be leading off and back at shortstop. Yeah, he's going on average, I pick 93. It feels kind of late considering what we know he is capable of, even when he was out there last year. Uh, he was he was producing. Like like you said, he only played in 79 games. He batted over 300. He stole 13 bases. He trimmed his strikeout rate to below 20%, well below 20% for the first time in his career. Uh, there's no reason not to buy back in from what I'm seeing, at least from a fantasy point of view. You know, Usually he's costing you in previous years a second, third, fourth round pick. You're getting him in sixth, seventh round this year. Uh, it's a classic buy low situation. Uh, yeah. Any any massive concerns you think going forward with Anderson, or is this just like in terms of the injury? Is this something that you expect to recur? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the one thing you have to always be careful of with these White Sox guys the last couple of years are these soft tissue injuries, right? I mean, this is not a this is not an elbow injury. This is not a knee injury. This is not something that should really take away from his speed or his acumen and being able to play the field. It was a, a broken bone. It's, it should be healed. I expect that he's going to be fully ready for spring training and ready to go. I think the biggest thing that we're going to be looking for right off is is how does he come out? Does he look like he's energized? Does he look like he's ready to play and go out there and be the dominant player that he was? I mean, because let's face facts. I mean, when he's been healthy, uh, this is a guy that hits over 300 despite not walking ever. Yeah. So he's got a legit hit tool, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know that he can hit 20 home runs. That might be lofty, but he certainly can hit 12 to 15 home runs and give you 20 stolen bases and a good batting average. Quite honestly, if you were to ask me if I wanted him or if I wanted Wander Franco, I would take Tim Anderson. I think I would too. Yeah. Uh, the pedigree is definitely there. That's something that's generally pretty important to me looking at at least a couple of years worth of track record. I like Franco. Uh, I don't know exactly what he is going to be yet. Is he going to be a 10 home run guy? Is he going to be a 20 home run guy with Anderson? Uh, there is a little more certainty in what you're getting. And I believe a little bit cheaper at this point in time, too. Uh, let me just pull up Wander Franco's because I was looking at the White Sox ADP. Uh, literally, like, right the same. Pick 93. So, hmm. literally, you can, Interesting. you can take your pick there. Uh, great call by you there because they are literally going one after the other. But, yeah, for me, it's it's going to be Tim Anderson all day between the two of them. Now, like you said, the walk rate, absolutely atrocious for the career, 3.6%. But still, he gets on base. He still produces when he's out there. So assuming he is healthy, uh, no question that Tim Anderson should bounce back a little bit uh, in 2023. Projected to bat second for you guys. Should have some fantasy relevance, I think, as well. Andrew Benintendi, what are your thoughts on uh, one of your newest acquisitions? So Benintendi is one of those guys to me that I think is a better baseball player in real life than he is in fantasy. And I think... Last year, he clearly sacrificed power for batting average and, and and better contact, right? So I think he only had five home runs last year. And and that's not exactly ideal when you're talking about a left fielder, right? I mean, but, here, but here's the thing that he brings to the table. He's a left-handed hitter. He brings some plate control and discipline to the two spot, which the White Sox have lacked for a very long time. He's a patient guy. He's fast. He's probably going to steal upwards of 20 bases, I would think. And I think that he's going to hit a little for a little bit more power. I think I think 12 or 14 home runs is probably doable, especially in that park. Um, I, I think, you know, the G rate, if you call it whatever you want to call it, G guaranteed rate with the red arrow pointing down, which is <laughs> a great symbol for your team, guys. Way to think it all the way through. Um, I think Benintendi is going to be a, a pretty good player for them. For our fantasy purposes, um, 
you know, they don't really measure defense either. And just getting Eloy Jimenez out of left field, if you were playing left field, I would be thrilled. But we, they just needed to get him out of there. I mean, it's an accident waiting to happen, as we've seen a couple of times already. Um, he, he played left field like he was on roller skates, and I just cannot get past that vision of him in the outfield ever. So I think that it's an addition by subtraction. I think for fantasy purposes, if you go into it with realistic expectations, you know, this is a guy that might be able to give you a little bit of batting average help. He's going to give you a little bit of steals help. He's not going to really help you in power. He's a volume guy. He's probably going to get 600 at bats playing left field for the Sox and batting second could score a ton of runs. Um, but I think that he's a guy that if you, if you take with the idea that he's your fourth or fifth outfielder, I think, you know, that could be okay. His, his ADP, I think, was pretty low, too, somewhere in the 230s, I think, last time I checked. Um, right now, 226. Pretty cheap. 226, yeah, so he's pretty cheap. I mean, so if you've got three or four guys ahead of him that are thumpers and are going to be able to give you what you need, and Ben Benintendi's not a bad guy, especially if you're looking for somebody to maybe offset some potential batting average risk that you might have. There is an you know, outside chance that he can contribute across all five categories. We've seen it throughout his career. I mean, especially in those early years in Boston, there was 2020 season in 2017. Uh, he went for 16 and 21, 13 and 10, 17 and 8. It's not out of the realm of possibility. He can give you 15 and 15, hit close to mm-hmm. 300, and you know, give you 150 some odd runs plus RBIs put together. I think if you're talking about, and I like to talk on the show because we're looking at NFBC drafts. Uh, they're looking at their ADP because that's kind of all we have to go on. But once draft season really gets going and you're talking about your 10 and 12 team leagues, Ben Intendi is going to be fitting into that range, you know, 220, 230 of one of your last two or three rounds worth of picks. And I think at that point, uh, there's really no, no wrong, no fault you can have uh, in taking him at that point because he's just, you know, he is very cheap and he can perform, like I said, five category, not like five categories in Acuna or Rodriguez or something like that, but low end five category production, uh, definitely possibility for him. Now, Luis Robert is the next guy I wanted to touch on. First of all, has he always been Luis Robert Jr., or is this a new thing? No, it's a new thing. I, I noticed that a couple of weeks ago as well. I, I didn't know where that had come from. I had never heard to, heard him referred to as that. But if that's what he wants to be called, I will call him that, obviously. Now, in terms of his outlook, for me, the worry is with spending such a high price on him, currently going – uh, 43rd overall by ADP. I, I I think he is worth it if he does play a whole season, but we've never mm-hmm. seen him play more than 98 games. When he's out there, he's brilliant. I just don't know if I could trust him as far as I could throw him right now. Are you going to be investing a third rounder in Lou Bob this year? It hurts me to say it, but I don't think that I can. And I, I'm a White Sox fan, as you know, and I watch the games on TV all the time. And and the one thing I would say about Luis Robert Jr., I guess that's what we're calling him now, <laughs> is that last year, man, he played, he showed a lot of courage last year playing. He was hurt. He was pretty seriously hurt the second half of the season, basically swinging with one hand. And because the team didn't have any other options at that point, with all the injuries that they had last year, he really tried to gut his way through it. And you know, this is a guy that was swinging with one hand and still hit 12 home runs, had 56 RBIs, hit 284, 11 steals, WRC plus, which I know a lot of people don't necessarily like, but I feel it's like a pretty easy way to kind of compare folks was 111. Um, I, I think that he's got to run into some point. He's got to run into some better health. And I think with all the soft tissue injuries that they've had in the last couple of years, they've really worked this winter on changing around some of their workout regimen and working on um, increasing flexibility and strength and yoga, as opposed to doing like massive power lifting. I mean, if you've ever seen Luis Robert, you know, he, he doesn't need to lift another weight in his life. I mean, the guy is just an absolute specimen. Um, I took Jack to a game last year and he's like, my God, that guy, he's built like a horse. And I was like, he really is. And he's just, a, he's an amazing guy to look at. He's an amazing talent. Does he put it all together this year? That's a good question. I would like to think that with Pedro Grafal being the manager and the removal of Tony LaRusso for the love of God, thank you, that Robert's probably going to be playing with a little bit more element of control and a little bit more grace and fun. You know, in 2020, this guy won a gold glove playing half of a season. So the pedigree is there. The skill is there. The talents are there. Now, the thing is, you you said it better than I can. 
He's a top 10 outfielder if he's healthy. Maybe a top five outfielder if he's healthy. Is this the year? It's got a little bit of a Buxton feel to it, doesn't it? Like, you know that when the guy's out there and playing, he's going to give you ridiculous stats, but is he going to be able to play? What's 100 games of Luis Robert worth as compared to 140 games of, say, I don't know, Mookie Betts or somebody, you know what I mean? Somebody like that. Like, you don't know what you're going to get. And so because I'm normally sort of risk averse to these situations, which is probably probably why I also don't win the big leagues that I'm in. I don't see me taking Luis Robert with a third pick. I, I in the third rounds, I've been getting like Marcus Simeon and that just feels a lot better to me. And, and I'm waiting on outfield, which I shouldn't be doing as I'm learning so far, but Robert is a, is a unbelievable talent. I, I think I'm going to let someone else take that risk though. Let me ask you, and now we're talking about a couple spots difference in ADP. Luis Robert at 43 or Cedric Mullins at 47? See, in that situation, I'm probably going to take Robert because I I don't know if Mullins' power is a complete out outage and he gives me 25 stolen bases. Then i got to find a place to get those home runs somewhere else, right? So if I'm looking at that, now Justin Mason would take Mullins any, yeah. all day at six times on Sunday, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's who he is. But for me, I think I would take the risk in that situation on Robert because I think he's got a better chance to fill the stat page than Mullins does. And I like Mullins a lot as a baseball player, but I think in that situation, I'd probably take Robert. Yeah, I, th- I think I would agree. I think it's it's very close between the two of them. If Mullins does get the power back up, then it would be very close. Now, the thing with Robert, if he plays a whole season, you you mentioned it, he could be a top five player. He could be a, a first round, a, fir- a top five outfielder, a first round player in return. Now, the projections for both him and the next guy we're going to talk about, I might as well jump lump them in together here. Luis Robert and Elo Jimenez projected for 139 in 143 games, respectively, mm-hmm. when we're talking about the bat and steamer. Does that not feel a little bullish expecting the 143 games, 139 games from these guys? Like wouldn't something more close to like 100, 110 kind of make more sense, you think? Yeah, I think especially for Robert, right? I mean, I think just based on his history and playing a tougher position, I think that if you get 110 to 120 out of him, you would be really happy. Um, Eloy, I think, has got a better chance to play that many games because I I think he's going to be DHing. And quite honestly, I, I really – think that what Griffal did a couple of day, weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, you might see him in right field. That's insanity. I mean, it's got to be a smoke screen. And and here's the thing about Eli. Is, that, is it okay to talk about him now? Just yeah, yeah, jump no. in? yeah, go for it. Go for it. So Eli is one of my, he's one of my great enigmas in life. And he is six foot five, 250 pounds, swings the bat like a hammer, makes great contact, very rarely seems to get fooled, doesn't strike out a ton. And he's a guy that you look at and be like, why is this guy not like putting up godly numbers? Well, he's always hurt. And the reason why he's always hurt is because he's a lunatic in the outfield. He cannot play the outfield. I'm going to say it. I don't, if he's listening, I would say it to his face. I know he's not, but if he were here, I would tell him that's the problem. And the reason why is because he simply cannot pay attention. He is the poster boy for Stratera. He needs something to kind of keep him regulated throughout the course of the game. If you go to a Sox game, one of the great things about Eli, this is really great. He interacts with the kids in the crowd all the time. He's popping his head out of the dugout in key situations and looking around like he's looking for his mom to be there. Or he's just, he's, he's like a pinball. His attention just wavers all over the place. What I would really like to see them do is have somebody sit next to him on the bench during the course of the game. One of the bench coaches or whoever it might be sitting with him and just saying, look, learn the game, learn these situations. They're paying Eloy to hit bombs. They're not paying Eloy to leg out singles between shortstop and third base. And that's always how he gets hurt. Or he jumps over the fence trying to catch a ball that he's nowhere near in spring training and ruptures tendons in, a, in his shoulder. And he's out for three months. So you get to a point, right, where health is a skill. So I think DH is a way to keep him safe from himself and allow him to just focus on what he does best, which is hit the living crap out of the ball. I mean, this is a guy you talk about like the judge numbers and stuff like that. I'm not saying that he's Aaron judge. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't think that I am, but this guy could fall out of bed and hit 40 home runs easily. If he's healthy. I mean, you know, last year he had a really nice year. He only played half the games. Now I know you can't just say, 
take the 84 games and double it and you get the statistics, right? But if you did, you get 32 home runs, 108 RBIs, 295 average. And in the second half of the season, his WRC plus was like the third highest in the in, in MLB, like 144, which is unbelievable. So this guy is just a pure hitting machine. They need him to be healthy. They need him to DH. They need to keep him off of the field and they need to keep him out of the trainer's room, which means, Hey, somebody get a hold of him and say, look, if you hit a ground ball between shortstop and third base, like take it easy. Don't try to go gonzo and get to first base and then rupture something in your hip and be out another three months because they got to be smart. They got to have him. If they don't have him, they got a huge gap there. I mean, the fall off at DH between him and then like Gavin Sheets is immense, right? So they got to have it. And so I know that's a little bit of a long-winded response. I know his his ADP is somewhere, I think, in the 70s. Um, it seems to be going up a little bit. I think it was 90 around Christmas time, and I think he's in the 70s now. Yeah. You're the ADP guy. You know more than I do. I've just got the NFBC page open. This is not off of off of memory. I can guarantee you that. Uh, let me just flip back to it here. He is 76.9, call it 77 uh, in yeah. his last 30 drafts that have taken place. How old, how old do you think he is, Joe? Because that shocked me when I looked at it a couple uh, of weeks back. I was looking at it uh, recently. He's not that old. I think he's 25, 26. Yeah, he's be, he'll be 26 when the season starts, right? So, like, yeah. he could be, if they can keep him healthy, he could be heading into something fantastic. And so I've been getting shares of him as like my second outfielder because I think he could explode this year. We'll see. Mike Curlin keeps talking him up. He's going to get that price going up and up. I keep seeing at, at least once a week, I see Mike Curlin with some piece of Eloy propaganda over on Twitter. Mike, calm down so we can all have some shares here <laughs> a little bit later on in our drafts. I I love what he can do when he's out there. I just worry about how much he's going to be out there. And of course the, the DH factor is going to mitigate the injury risk. Uh, does it completely remove it? Maybe, maybe not. I, I just feel like 143 games to expect that might be a little bit much, but that's also probably just looking at these previous two seasons and seeing 55 and, and 84 games respectively. Can he get up to 143? Potentially. Uh, I wouldn't really be banking on it, but that's the thing with him. Like you mentioned, even in 84 games, he gave you great production. Even if it's a hundred games, 110, 120, you're still probably looking at a, at least a, an even return on your investment there where you're getting him in round five, round six. So I, I like him. I'm still a little bit cautious about where to take him exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're but, right. You're right. But I, at the end of the day, the skills are, you know, un, unimpeachable when he's actually out there. Uh, any other thoughts on Eloy before we move on to, to another member of the White Sox? No, I just hope that he stays safe, like flying to spring training and doesn't bring a glove with him. Just, just hit, man. Just hit. <laughs> if there were if there were injuries in the outfield, Benintendi goes down or whatever. Do you think that that would make them put him in the outfield, or you think they're just trying going to try and keep him out of there at all costs? Well, that's a great question. I mean, their depth signings leave a lot to be desired, right? I mean, they brought in Victor Reyes on a minor league contract. They brought in Jake Marisnik, both who are decent outfielders that can play out there in a pinch. But um, I I think that you'll probably see just in a way to kind of keep him honest that. Maybe once a week he's got a glove on and he's playing in the outfield, but I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I mean, there there were so many times like when balls get hit in the gap, I freeze because I'm like, he's going to kill Luis Robert. He's going to kill Luis Robert. You know what I mean? Like he's just going to truck him. Like you know, remember <laughs> remember remember that um, injury when Schwarber tore up his knee when he was with the Cubs a few years back. It reminds me of that. I'm just like, oh, my God, he's going to kill him like a linebacker. And they actually made a joke out of it at one point uh, last season because when balls were hit in the gap, Robert was telling him to just to not move. Like there were there's literal you could go on YouTube and find clips of it where Eli like folds his arms like this and just waits for Robert to go track it down. And that's what they prefer, because like we don't need him diving for a ball that's five feet away and like shattering his elbow or something. That's an a total Eli move. Right. Yeah, God, hope to avoid that for, I mean, I don't have any shares of him yet. I'm still early in draft season, but I think I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit of Eloy here and there where I can, assuming that the price doesn't jump up too, too high. Where it currently is, I think I'll be okay to have a share or two. Next guy we're going to talk about, I don't think I will have any shares. It would have to be, it would have to be pretty deep league. Joan Moncada. I mean, it feels like every year we kind of hope for the best. <sighs> of him. The price is adjusted, at least. The price he's not going until close to pick 300 at this point. I mean, when previous years it's been a lot higher than that. Are you in? Are you out? Is he somebody that you do you trust at all anymore as a fan, as a fantasy player? What, do, what are your thoughts on Moncada? 
it, it, you know, it's it's a stupid thing to say, but I say this to people when we talk about the White Sox, my friends and whatnot. Mankata kind of hurts my feelings <laughs> because I look at him and I see an absolute unbelievable talent, right? I mean, he's just, he's a switch hitter. He plays really good defense. He's really underrated defensively at third base. I, I will give him that. But I cannot figure out for the life of me what he's trying to do when he's hitting. And I, he looks so lost to me. And I... I'm hopeful that by, and I know this sounds like a simplistic answer, but I'm hopeful that by having somebody who speaks his language in the dugout with him and a coaching staff that really starts to understand him, that maybe they can turn him around. You know, Pedro Grafal gets a lot of credit for kind of turning Salvador Perez's career around. Salvador Perez had kind of a reputation for being soft, for being lazy, for being disinterested. I don't think anybody would say those things about him now. The guy is an absolute beast. Right. And so I think there's a lot of hope that in a parallel that they might be able to get Moncada to kind of tap into some of that production. And the fact is, he's done it before. Now, granted, he had an unrealistic BABIP the year that he did that and hit 25 home runs. I, I think if expectations are lowered, I mean, would you be happy with him hitting 260 and hitting 15 home runs and playing good defense at third base with the sluggers that are on this team? As a baseball manager, you would be. As a fantasy player, you don't want it. I think unless you get him for a buck late and you throw a dart at somebody and you're kind of hopeful and you already have you know both your third baseman and your first baseman and a corner guy and you want to throw a dart, go for it. Um, I, I think I'm out. I, I just I, – I can't – continue to hold on to that hope anymore. It reminds me of my first girlfriend when I was at Indiana University back in the day. You just keep holding on and holding on and hoping for something different and nothing nothing ever changes, you know? Um, <laughs> and I think I think that's how I feel about Yohan Mankata. It reminds me of my old girlfriend at Indiana University. <laughs> so stupid. There's, you know, there's a couple things with Mankata. I feel like you know, you look at that 2019 season and we have to look at everything that happened in 2019 with kind of a grain of salt, right? That was the year where the ball, that's where the balls were very juiced. You can tell looking at a number of different players, you know, Christian Vasquez never hit more than seven or eight home runs in that year. He hit 25 or whatever it was. Moncada went for 25 home runs, 83 runs scored, 79 RBIs. He batted 315. And like you said, he had a 406 BABIP that season. So it was kind of unrealistic that he was going to be able to do that year in and year out. I think there's another part of it that he is, you know, the main piece that you guys got back for Chris Sale. So there's always been that hope of, you know, he is going to live up to that trade. We didn't give up Chris Sale for, for not for nothing, because I think you guys got Kopech in that trade as well. Yes. But, but still, um, I think there is part of it from not just from a fantasy point of view, from a fan point of view as well of, you know, he, he will eventually live up to it because he was such a, a big piece in that trade. We're like six years removed from that trade at this point. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's still even a narrative or if that's just me projecting my own thoughts onto the situation. But I feel like you kind of have to be out at this point. If there's anything that you can look at and say, okay, maybe is the fact that he's not going until pick 300. So, I mean, if you're in a DC, he's, he's going to be drafted one way or the other. If he's going to be a bench depth third baseman for you, I don't really have a problem with that at that price. If you're if you're starting him at third base, then you're going to be in for a rough season probably. But uh, you know, if if the price was where it was in previous years and people were still kind of expecting that 2019 season to repeat, then I'd be fully out. I'm still relatively out. He wouldn't be starting in any of my lineups, but I think as a bench no. piece in case he can yeah. maybe have some kind of rebound. You know, like you mentioned, new manager, new culture. I mentioned this. We I think we talked about this when you were on the show back whenever it was the first time that they weren't really playing for Tony La Russa very well. It was kind of a, a wasted year in terms of the environment around the team, the culture, everybody's mentality was kind of just in the toilet. It's a new start. It's it's a new season for everybody. It's a brand new, possibly a brand new opening in terms of, you know, these guys are going to be different players than they once were. Maybe we see Eloy and Robert more healthy. You know, Abreu's gone. Maybe Mancada can know live up to some of that hype that he had in the mm-hmm. past i think there's a, mm-hmm. there's a chance that just everything is different for the white Sox this season and forgive the the vocal mumbo jumbo there from a second ago no no i, I think there is there is a chance that you know the entire culture of this team has just changed and there is 
potential that we could see, um, you know, a renaissance of sorts uh, within Chicago this season. I don't want to spend too much time on Yoan Moncada because I don't want uh, any either of us to go any more gray hairs than we're already getting. I'm starting, <laughs> I'm starting to get one or two gray hairs, and I'm starting to thin out on the top of my head. I think it might have been this past season <laughs> talking fantasy baseball because at 24, I shouldn't be thinning out on top of my head, but... <laughs> Here we are anyway, but let's talk about the next guy that we have to go over here. I'm a big fan of this particular guy. I think you are as well. And I ranked him pretty high when I did my first base rankings. It's Andrew Vaughn. Now, what yeah. are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Andrew Vaughn now that he's actually going to be playing his primary natural position this season? You know, I feel like a lot of people are, are um that I've talked to are kind of like meh on Vaughn. Or what's the term that all you youngsters use? They're mid. They're mid <laughs> on Vaughn, right? <laughs> I am not mid on Vaughn, and I'll tell you why. So he led the team in home runs last year with 17. Nobody on this team had 20 home runs last year for all the power that they had on this team. And he had 76 RBIs, hit 271, WRC plus again. I know not a great statistic. Laud, but good for comps, was 113. But did you know that before Vaughn came to the major leagues that he only had 205 minor league at-bats? And so they were forcing him to learn last year on the fly how to hit major league pitching while also playing out of position every day. So you're taking a 23 year old guy and saying, yeah, you know what? Anybody can play outfield except outfield's really hard <laughs> as every position in the major leagues is really hard. And they really screwed him. I mean, they, they really put him in bad spots. You know, I think if they just leave him alone, this guy can hit the, the, the comp that he keeps getting. And I, I, it's not my comp, just, this is what I hear from other people around me. The size, the way that he's built playing first base is a lot of Je Jeff Bagwell comp. Mm -hmm. Jeff Bagwell was a pretty good player, as we all know. So <laughs> I'm not saying that he's going to do that, but I think he's got legit 25 home run power. I think his batting average is going to go up. He's got an insanely low K rate. Um, and I think that he could also um, be a top 15 first baseman this year just being left alone playing the position. So like you were talking about a minute ago, the war of attrition that they're facing, right? Let's take Eloy out of left field and just let him hit. He doesn't, he's not good in the outfield. He's a good hitter. Let's take Vaughn out of the outfield mix and put him at first base, which is his natural position. And I know a lot of people here in Chicago are really, really upset that they let Jose Abreu walk, but it made total sense. Abreu, if you look at Abreu's advanced statistics and a lot of people around here don't want to do that, the reason why his power was down is because he was selling out to hit the ball harder, not trying to get the power going. Now, guys like Bubba, Bubba will say he thinks that Abreu is going to bounce back into 30 home runs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be Yuli Gurriel, you know, redux. High batting average, hit 12, 15 home runs, play really good first base. I don't think he's going to hit 30 home runs. So I think this is a good trade-off for the White Sox is what I'm trying to say. Why spend more money on Abreu and take on and, and put a chokehold on Vaughn again and not have him have a position to play? Let the kid play. Let him play first base. He's probably going to hit 25 home runs. Um, his ADP is like in the 140s last I checked. I think that's a great value where he's going based on the pedigree. This was the guy two years ago was the number one bat coming out of the draft. Everyone said it. Everyone said this is the guy that is the most ready, and he is. Um, he he's really a good hitter. I, I don't know how it's going to translate this year necessarily into power and numbers that we can use for fantasy, but I think he's going to be a really good replacement for Jose Abreu, and I'm in on him at, at that value. I am as well. I had him ranked 11th among my first baseman. He's going, honestly, I thought it was higher in terms of ADP, or sorry, excuse me, I thought he was going lower. He's actually the 12th first baseman off the board here, uh, sandwiched between Christian Walker and Jose Miranda. I love him. I'd pick 147. I think that he can hit close to 300. I think he can give you 20, roughly 20 home runs, give you a boatload of counting stats, and you're not going to get many stolen bases out of him. But that's not why you'd be drafting him. You'd be getting essentially, you know, three and a half, four categories out of production value uh, out of him. And I think he's still going to have outfield eligibility for this coming season as well. So you get that. You can, you know, a little bit of versatility uh, in a very good lineup. You know, everybody we've talked about today, and there's one more guy in the lineup I do want to talk about afterwards, but it's a very solid lineup, even without Jose Abreu still. One through seven, you guys are, are pretty confidently, I'd say, one of the top five or so lineups in the American League. I think that that's fairly reasonable to say. I mean, you, you can tell me you've, you know the team better than I do, but I think that that's I think this is a really good group of guys. You could see multiple guys get close to 100 RBIs. 
you could see, you know, those that no guy, nobody hitting 20 home runs of last year. I, I don't expect that to continue. You could easily right. have three or four guys do that. And it all goes back to, I think, just kind of not all of it, but part of it anyway. It's going to be a completely different culture this season. And mm-hmm. I think that with Andrew Vaughn, he's at his regular position. There's a lot of pressure taken off of him. Now he's got his lumps in the major leagues. He's had more than a thousand plate appearances. I think that we could be on the verge of a pretty big breakout for him. Not that it's going to be 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, 100 runs. But, you know, I think he could really return great value. I think he could be a top 10 first baseman. I think that's his upside. I, re- I really do. I um, agree with you. I, I, I think he can get there. And I, I, maybe it doesn't happen this year, but I think at some point we'll be talking about him as one of the better offensive first basemen anyway in, in baseball. There's not really – so beyond one more guy anyway, there's not really so much in terms of the bench depth and whatever uh, bottom of the order. I know I'm not going to put you through a Lurie Garcia conversation. <laughs> yes, Manny Grandal is the last guy in this order where I feel like there could be some value specifically because people are kind of discounting him this season after a, a dreadful 2022. Are you in? Are you out? What are your thoughts on Grandal going forward? Well, I mean – he's essentially almost free, right? I mean, his ADP is really low. This is a guy that for years has been a top five catcher based on the power that he gives you. Obviously we know he's a bad and average drain, but he's going to hit you 20 to 25 home runs if he's healthy. And here's what I'll say about Grandal. I think he's still got gas left in the tank. I think last year he had a really, really hard time. He did not have a good backup for a lot of the year um he was hurt he's got a, he's had a lot of leg injuries the last couple of years to combat that this year when we had scott merkin on our pod the white Sox beat reporter he was telling us about um yes monte grandel working out with the blackhawks strength and conditioning trainer um to work on flexibility and to work on lower body strength and scott merkin said that he saw him at some type of charity event and that his body was transformed He's done like 25 to 35 of these sessions with the Blackhawks trainer. And he said he looks amazing. Now, I think a lot of people felt last year, and I was one of them, I'll say it, that the White Sox were not in good condition physically. Um, You go to games and watch guys warm up ahead of time. There wasn't a lot of that going on. It seemed like there was a lot of goofing going around. And when you're young, you know what it's like being a young guy. You're a young guy. You know, you, you don't have to get out and stretch, but when you're you're older like me, you know, you, it takes 10, 15 minutes to get out of bed, get everything moving, get the juices flowing again. And I think that Grandal is serious about wanting to continue playing. He's not that old. I think he's 34. So um, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of a backup. I mean, right now it looks like Sebi Zavala is going to be the backup, which is not all that great. Although he does get good marks for framing. He can't hit a lick and he can't throw either, but that's, a whole different issue. <clears throat> but I think Grandal for where he's getting drafted is somebody that as a, if you're in a two catcher league, that you take a shot on as your second catcher and see what happens. He could easily return a value where he gets 15 to 20 home runs again. Um, if not, you cut him and you move on. The thing with Grandal for me, I think that he is, I mean, he's going as the 20th catcher off the board. He doesn't really need to be, the Grandal of old, you know, 25 home runs, 27 home runs, uh, you know, massive counting stats to really return a positive ROI on that investment. It really isn't got, not going to take that much. If you look at the guys who are going around him, you know, Logan Ohapi, Gabriel Moreno, Christian Vasquez going ahead of him, Jonah Heim, like, can they outperform him? Yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I said it earlier in the pod, the track record of certain players, you really have to look at it and put more weight into it than, you know, hype of a prospect or, you know, he had a good season last year. I'm much more willing to buy the dip on a guy like Randall than I am to buy into, you know, I'll have some Mojapi and I'll have, I drafted Gabriel Moreno earlier today. Actually, there's the DCs from Arizona kept going. Like, I have no problem taking those guys. But at the same time, you're getting, you know, like you said, he was a top five catcher for so long. And he's dropped to the 20th catcher off the board. It just seems like there's too much value there to ignore fully, you know, sprinkle him in a little bit as your second catcher. I wouldn't really want him as my first catcher, sure. but, but I don't even think it's the craziest idea. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but if somebody were to tell me, you know, I, I filled in all my spots, I got my closers, my second base, third base, blah, blah, blah. And then I took Grandal, you know, with one of my last picks and he's my catcher. I wouldn't love it. I wouldn't do it personally, but it's not the worst thing. Like he is still a very good baseball player, despite having a very down season last year. Yeah. Uh, and I he's going to, and he's going to play, right? I mean, yeah. they don't really have um, 
the Sox haven't really done anything to address the position, much to the dismay of a lot of fans. I think what they're saying is exactly what you're saying. They're expecting the culture to be different and better, and they're expecting these guys to be healthy. And Grandal last year was not healthy either. He was swinging one-handed a lot because he was hurt. And again, trying to kind of bull through it because they really didn't have any other options. And you saw what happened when Zavala had to play every day. You saw what happened when Lurie Garcia had to play every day. They stunk. They're nice guys to have on your team, but they can't play every day. And so I think he took that as a pride hit, and I think he's going to um, be a lot better, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I fully expect that as well. Now, we've covered the lineup pretty well. There's a couple other guys who are – you know, in the lineup at the bottom there, I don't think they're going to do too much for us in terms of fantasy this year, and I don't think we really need to t- spend so much time on them. Uh, let's go to the rotation. Let's talk about Dylan Cease here. He is going as the top pitcher off the board here for the White Sox, going typically in round three. Are you in on Dylan Cease? Do you think he can repeat what he did last year? Can he improve? Is he going to regress? Where where you stand on him right now? Well, you know, I, I was a big I, – I, I'm going to own this because I was not a big – Cease guy going in and I always thought that he was um, you know the same thing that I kind of said about Eloy earlier you know he didn't believe in himself he didn't believe in his stuff last year he completely changed that around now I think it depends on what your expectations are it do you expect him to do what he did last year no do you can you expect him to have an ERA somewhere between maybe three three and a half sure I think it's probably going to be a little bit closer to four um, I, I'm a little concerned about it. Um, I would not feel comfortable taking him as my number one starter. Now, most people are going to probably tell you that they would. I'm still a little gun shy on that. I, I think he's phenomenal. He's going to strike out a ton of guys. He's got the best slider in the game. Will he be able to do that again this coming season? That remains to be seen. I think he's clearly the ace of the White Sox staff, but I also think that the White Sox have four guys that are all pretty decent um, and are going to be, be somewhat valuable in our fantasy game um, where cease is going. I think that there's other guys that I would rather take some risk on. Um, I probably will get some shares, but I'm a little concerned. I, I just think that, you know, there's really nowhere for him to, he can't really go up from what he did last year. Right. So the only way that he can really go is to regress back towards the middle somehow. And even if he regresses towards the middle, he's still going to be very good. But is he going to be good enough to beat your ace? I don't know that. Well, you're in line pretty much with what the projections have to say. Uh, Steamer has him down for a 372 ERA. The bat has him down for 384. Uh, definitely, and they're expecting regression in terms of the strikeout rate as well. Not like a crazy amount, but from 30% down to 28. The walk rate remaining about the same according to these projections. There's definitely some reason for pause in terms of uh, drafting Dylan C so high up, especially... You know, I've talked about it, not with you. I don't think, well, maybe we have in Arizona. There is just so much pitching this year. There is so much pitching that is available between, you know, pick 70 odd and 150. You got guys like Kevin Gosman, Luis Castillo, and and on and on, Zach Allen. I don't know that you need to really reach for a guy like Dylan Cease. It might make more mm-hmm. sense to build your roster around position players um, earlier on in your draft and then fill in your pitching a little bit later. I think I'd probably tend to agree there that Dylan Cease is generally more on the fade side. I'm still working on my starting pitcher rankings. I'm not going to have him inside my top 10. He's going to be outside of the top, not like crazy too far outside of it, but uh, for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about, I just don't really expect the exact same kind of production, which was a 220 ERA. I mean, he outperformed his pitching indicators like by between half a run and a run. Sometimes right. you know, his XFIP was 350. So, I mean... Is there room for improvement from what he did last year? Not really. I mean, you're drafting him at his peak price. So I think uh, I agree with you there. I'm not really going to be so interested in taking Dylan Cease. Lance Lynn, in, on the other hand, I think I am going to be a little bit more interested in taking. Uh, he got a lot better as the season went on last year. Granted, sure he's going to be 36 years old, uh, I believe, early in next season. He's 35 right now. I think at the beginning of next year, he'll turn 36 uh, Yeah, in May. Are you going to be interested in Lance Lynn? Is he somebody that you're still drafting, or have we kind of passed the the point of expiration on him? No, I love him. Yeah. I love him. I always have, and 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 I not as my number one. I I had a conversation with our with uh, Dave Funnel, your fellow Canadian, who's one of my best friends in the industry, and uh, he's he loves Lance Lynn. He's willing to take Lance Lynn as his number one. And I'm like, I hope I play in the same. I hope I play in the same league as you. Then, <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Um, Lynn basically throws one pitch and dares people to hit it, right? He, 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 a well-placed fastball is still the best pitch in baseball, right? So about 70% of the time, he's throwing a fastball. Last year, he reported um, to camp. He's a bigger guy, as you know. His, he had some knee trouble. After he got the knee stuff worked out, he was he was pretty good, to your point. I mean, um, se- second half numbers, he was 7-2, two, 252 ERA, 0.97 whip, 89 punch-outs and 85 in a third innings, 3.7% walk rate. That's that speaks to me. That's like my love language. So I, I I love taking him as my second guy if I can get him there. And with and with the way that pitching is going this year, um, I think you, you can get a pretty good value on him. I think his ADP was like in the one thirties last I checked. So you can do what you said, Joe, which is build your offense first, and then in that fourth, fifth, sixth round somewhere in there, start grabbing some starting pitching and maybe a closer, if, depending on how you kind of go about your build but if you start off with three really good hitters and you back it up and you get you know a decent a, a good number one like say maybe you get like zach gallon and lance lynn you'd be pretty happy um yeah. i would say so um i i like him a lot still i think that there's still stuff there and next year i don't know how i'll feel but for right yeah. now i think i think he's a good guy to take for 23 yeah, I mean, at 138 right now, that's his price. And I'm looking back since December the 1st. It gives you, you know, 29 drafts to look back on. You could argue that you could even have him as like your third or maybe even fourth pitcher at that point. You're talking about like round nine of a 15-teamer. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have him as your second or third. But, you know, depending on how you build your team, he might be your, your third, fourth, fifth pitcher. I mean, there's so many different ways you can construct a roster. But, yeah, I mean, the first half, his first 36 innings of last year, a 7-5 ERA. He was just getting shit on. When he, you know, second half, much bigger sample size, 85 innings. It was a 2.52 ERA, like you said. He was he was a lot better down the stretch. So there's no reason for me to not be in on him. If there's anything, it's the fact that he's older than he than he's ever been. I guess we're all older than we've ever been. But he's going to be 36 years old. Maybe he starts to slow down a little bit. He's not a massive fireballer, so maybe you know right. he starts getting hit a little bit harder as he gets older. Not that the velocity has really dropped at all in his career. He's always been 92, 93, but I worry a little bit about maybe he's just you know going to hit that wall at some point. Maybe it's this season. Maybe it's next year. I'm going to well, take he's the also He's also really in good shape, too, because he's going to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. So he's already he's already been throwing. So I think he's going to come in a little bit more. I didn't mean to cut you off, Joe. I'm sorry. But no, no worries. Um, I, I think I think he's going to be pretty good. Still, I in, in the on the wire listener league that I just completed the draft last last weekend. Um, I got him as I would guess as my number four starter. I had Woodruff, Framber Valdez, Freddie Peralta and Lance Lynn as my core four. And I was thrilled to get him where I got him. I thought it was a great buy. Yeah, that is not too shabby at all. I like him. I think that, you know, probably this year we're fine. There will come a point, obviously, like for everybody where he won't have value anymore. Hoping it's not this year and you can still get him, you know, a pretty decent value there in round nine. Now, Lucas Giolito is someone I really don't know how to feel about. I'm just going to give you the floor here. What are we doing with Lucas Giolito? So I love the man, right? I love the guy. You know, he's a, He's a really cerebral, super smart guy. Obviously, his high school pitching coach, Ethan Katz, is his pitching coach for the White Sox, right? And Ethan Katz helped coach some pretty good pitchers along the way, Max Freed, Jack Flaherty, some people that fantasy players might have heard of, right? They were all on the same high school team together, if you can believe it, right? So um, Giolito, I think, last year, he was tinkering a little bit. And I think what ended up happening for him that was really bad, rough for him was he put on a bunch of weight because he tended to wear down as the season went on and get tired. So he put on about 20 pounds and it was a lot of upper body. His, he just looked weird. He's six foot six. He's a big guy. So he put on all this weight and he had the abdominal injury. He also had a really serious bout with COVID. And, and that really kind of went underreported because he's not a guy to make excuses or complain. But if you kind of peel back the layers of the onion here a little bit, right? I mean, um, you know, he was 11 and nine. He had a 4.9 ERA. The strikeouts were still there 177 strikeouts in 161 innings. Whip was high because he gave up a lot of hits and, he, and his walk rate was higher than it was supposed to be. His X ERA, which I know is not ideal, was 423. So it wasn't as bad of a season as what it looks like on paper when you kind of peel back some of that. Um, I think the key for Giolito is throwing the change up more and believing in it. His his fastball's good, obviously. He threw it more last year, 
but his velocity was down even after he bulked up and noticeably down more than a mile an hour over the course of the season. Obviously there was a lot of talk about him with the spin rate and a lot of stuff talk with the sticky tack and, and what that was doing for him. But I think what it was for him is that he really stopped believing in his ability to throw the change up. And I think I've heard on the radio here that he's lost the weight that he put on last year and kind of looked at winter as like, I'm going to get back to basics. I'm going to get back to when I was good. I'm going to watch my arm loop. I'm going to watch some video. I'm going to work with cats and I'm going to be ready to go. The other thing you got to remember about Giolito is he's in a contract year and this dude wants to get paid. So he just signed a contract for the year for $10.5 million, which is a bargain. The White Sox aren't paying any of these pitchers shit, really, when you think about it. Their starting pitchers are all really underpaid. Cease is like $5.5 million. So they got now is the time to win, right? Because they're not going to be able to afford to keep all these guys when the when these contracts are coming due. But Giolito's got a lot to prove this year, especially if he wants to go out and get a big deal. And he's 28. He's a young guy still. So he could very easily get back to what he was before. And with an ADP somewhere in the 150s, I'm willing to take that bet. I'm willing to take that risk and see if he can return to that. Because I think that he can. I think this is a guy who's got a lot of guts. Again, he's really cerebral, which sometimes can really hurt you as a pitcher. I just want him to get back to doing what he does best. His changeup when he was on in, in 20 and 21 was disgusting. I mean, it's just nearly impossible to hit. Yeah, that, that was his best pitch, arguably. I mean, his fastball also was very good in those years. If you look at even the the pitch values that they have over on fan graphs, <clears throat> even in 2021, you know, his fastball, his slider, his changeup, positive value pitches, uh, the curveball was was not a great pitch for him. But this year, every pitch was was a negative pitch for him. It was a negative run value. Uh, his BABIP was the highest it's ever been, which at 340. I mean, he's a career 279 guy. I'm definitely willing to buy the dip on him. You know, pick um, – 150 he's going exactly pick 150 so you don't have to spend up a lot for him you could potentially still get yourself uh, an sp i don't want to say sp1 necessarily i think it's possible that he gets back to there i think your you know best case scenario for lucas giolito is probably somewhere in like the you know he could be a top 25 pitcher still i think i think that's that's totally possible for him and you're, you're getting him at a discount and that's you know when we're drafting whatever position whatever team we're talking about you get somebody who you're getting discounted for whatever reason, uh, typically it's worth looking into. And with Giolito, I mean, the velocity dip kind of concerned me a bit. But I, I think, you know, you look at all the factors, uh, you'll, you'll take him where you're getting him at pick 150. I think that there's not too much of a, a problem there. Yeah, uh, there's so- no way that this guy should be like the 50th pitcher taken off the board. There's no way. That's not right. Yeah, it's it shouldn't be the case, and I think that's generally where he is going. If you're talking about you know all pitchers, uh, it, I, I wish you could sort on the NFBC site just as a side note by starters and relief pitchers. That would be that would be great if anybody from the NFBC is listening. Uh, but he is going as the 62nd pitcher off the board Man, in total starters and relievers. That's insane. It's it's a little insane. Yeah, I don't think that it's justified after one bad season from him. Uh, I'm I'm definitely going to be buying the dip. Uh, Mike Clevenger and Michael Kopech, the two Mikes. Well, leave it to you, Mike. Are either of these two guys worth your time? I know Michael Kopech, he gets a lot of shit. I, I think he's better than people generally think he is. Mike Clevenger, I'm not so hot on, but what, what are your thoughts on your fellow Mikes? So I think Kopech is a great example of a guy that everybody wants. They think that he's better than what he really is or that there's another level, and maybe there is. I mean, he's still a young guy, but um, – I think what they told him at the end of the season and what Katz said on the radio was that they'd like to get him to be a five inning or an 85 pitch guy, whatever comes first. And having watched him pitch now for a couple of years, he's going to be at 85 pitches in about the third inning. So I think if you're looking at him as a guy that you want to take as a starter and you're hoping to get wins out of, he's got a lot of work to do on being more efficient. Um, 11 and a half percent walk rate as a starter is no good. Um, K rate, surprisingly for a guy who throws as hard as he does it's only 21 percent um and i think what happened for him is that he really is a he's a two-pitch pitcher and he's not mastered it like guys like lance lynn have been able to do right he he's he's wonky so like he's got a good fastball but he's got a good slider and but the slider isn't always good enough to be a put-away pitch for him right so he's playing around and playing around and playing around and all of a sudden he's giving up three runs you know and so Kopech is not a guy that I've ever really been in on. I I, I think um, the other part of the problem I think with him is that I think he's a bit of a head case. I don't think that he'll I don't think he'll pitch if he's not a hundred percent. 
and you and I both know enough about pitching to know that pitchers are never a hundred percent. So I, I I'm worried that there's something going on there. Now I say that and watch him take off this year and go crazy, but and the potential is there. I mean, the guy, the pedigree is there, right? I mean, the White Sox have like nine or 10 first round picks on their roster right now. He's one of them. Um, and I think people want, it's another one of those situations, like you said, with sale, right? You traded sale away for him and for Mancata. You want those guys to be stars and they're not. So it is what it is at this point. Yeah. Kopech's season last year was just so puzzling. He started off brilliantly if you look at his era in april was 142 in may it was 117 and then june 519 and then 443 524 at the end of the season you know it was a little bit better but really really a weird season for him he had run in the past couple of years pretty high babips uh in his first couple of years granted very small sample sizes uh 14 and 69 innings but you're talking a 381 and a 304 babip where he's actually you know especially in 2021 pretty damn good 2022, over 120 innings, you're in a 223 BABIP, which you'd figure would have led to a much better season than what he had. But, you know, he ended up, ERA was about the same as it was in 2021, but the pitching indicators, the XERA, the FIP, the XFIP all went up by a run and a half, two runs. He's he's very tricky to figure out, you know, that strikeout rate as well, which was very high in 2021, 36%, like you said, mm-hmm. down to 21%. He's very yeah. puzzling. Uh, I, I don't, no, sorry, go ahead, Mike. It's tough with these guys because the White Sox have about three of these guys that would be really good in like a, a stopper role, like a, a middle inning relief guy, pitch a couple innings. Kopech was really good in that role before they put him into the starting role. I think he's more comfortable in the bullpen because he can really just go. You know, he just he can unleash the beast and go. I think he's always trying to hold something back when you're when he's starting. So you have a situation where you've got, you know, a guy that really can go for maybe three or four innings, and that's probably his top level can't do any more than that yeah he was averaging 97 on his fastball in 2021 it was down to just a tick below 95 this year so yeah there's not a lot to love as much as i i want to buy in we've seen flashes of it i like him i think i probably like him more than than mike clevenger uh, all things being yeah equal. sure um any any interest for you at all with mike clevenger the last member of this rotation yeah, I think I think you know I'm taking kind of a wait and see attitude. I think uh, we'll see what he's what he looks like in in spring and if he's healthy, could be a a good dollar dart throw at the end. I mean, he doesn't cost me anything. His ADP is really low. A guy who had you know was a top thirty pitcher there for a while. Um, he's coming back from surgeries and he's going to be a little bit more removed from that. Um, and and you know he doesn't have to be an ace on this team. They've got they've got three guys ahead of him that I would say are all better than he is. I think he's probably. I'd rather have him pitching on the mound than Kopech for me, but um, I don't think he's got to be the guy, you know? And so I, I wonder if that will help him kind of get back into, um, you know, being there. He, he was very positive in his press conference about the White Sox and the clubhouse and uh, a lot of, a lot of talk about him and Ben and being really good clubhouse guys. Now, I don't know how much of that's really true. I mean, Clevenger was also one of the guys who was sneaking around during COVID. So I, I don't know um, what's real and what's not there, but Here's hoping that the White Sox are putting together a better squad for this coming year and uh, we'll get some joy back on the south side of Chicago because, God, we could use it. I mean, you know, even though it was a shitful season last year, it was still a 500 season for you guys. It wasn't like, you know, you lost 100 games or something like that. It was obviously very disappointing considering, you know, won the division the year prior and the expectations in general. But I think, you know, you tinker with a couple things, you know, new manager, I think that there could be, you know, I think that they should win the division. Uh, I do too. Well, who knows if they will or not, but this team should be winning the division. Now there is a a bit of a, not a bit, a terrible situation. Uh, The last thing we'll talk about is the bullpen. And obviously, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm referring to here with Liam Hendricks, obviously wishing him all the best. He's one of the, by all accounts, one of the best people in baseball, very friendly, always personable with the media, always answering questions. He's, he seems like a great dude. We're wishing all the best for him here. Now, uh, the unfortunate part of this is when there's real life tragedy, we have to, you know, talk about it from a fantasy point of view, even though that's very secondary here. Uh, is it Kendall Graveman you think is going to be getting the majority of these save opportunities now until Hendricks is back? If Hendricks comes he, back this year? Yeah. I mean, God love him. I mean, you know, the, the guy before he signed here was going and scouting cities and trying to figure out where he wanted to play more so than the money that he was getting. Right. He wanted to be in a city where he felt he could make impact. He's, he's huge in the LBT LGBTQ community. He's huge in uh, animal adoption and, you know, pit bull rescue and stuff like that. Guy's just a, a, a wonderful guy. 
Uh, I do think it's going to be Graveman simply because he's got the experience. Now, there's an undercurrent of of support here of people saying that Ronaldo Lopez should get that opportunity. But I think they like Ronaldo Lopez exactly where he is, which is he is that stopper. They're not going to have Garrett Crochet back yet. Um, he's still recovering from Tommy John. He should be back somewhere within the second or third month of the season. So I, I think all things considered, they keep Lopez in that stopper role, that fifth, sixth inning role. And then they use a combination of Bummer and Kelly to get to Graveman. Graveman's got experience closing. Um, he, he, he had some saves last year. Uh, he had saves the year before when he was with Seattle before he got moved to Houston in a deadline deal that really upset a lot of Seattle folks. Um, I, I think it's going to be him. I, I actually, true story, and it's kind of sad to bring it up, but when I was in that on-the-wire um, draft last week, literally I was on the clock when they made the announcement that Hendricks was sick, and my next pick was Kendall Graveman. Uh, I was in a situation where I felt like I needed saves. I had already Devin Williams and I had Paul Seawald, although Seawald's a little questionable with obviously with Munoz there, uh, hard to say what's going to happen, but I took Graveman as a, as a flyer there. Cause I thought, you know, he, he could be the guy all year. Now they are saying here very, very um, privately, which is great that Hendricks is continuing to work out. He's continuing to go about his business as if nothing's wrong around his treatments. I wish that that would be the case. I obviously am hoping first and foremost for his survival and his health. I don't really care about baseball when it comes to that stuff. But if there's any, if there's anybody on the White Sox that will come back from injury and be a monster, it's Hendricks. You know, he does a radio. He did a radio show last year in, in the summertime. It was hilarious. Where they were asking him about his elbow and they were asking him about how his arm feels. And he was talking. He kept using the term, "Well, I got this thing that goes clickety clack over here, and I got this thing that goes clickety clack over here." And they, he revealed in the interview that he's been pitching with a partially torn UCL for like the last three, four years. He's he's just a beast. And he's not a big guy. He's not like he's like one of these, you know, Kenley Jansen type guys that's just six, seven and can just bring it. Right. He's a six yeah. foot tall guy who's just humping it up there as fast as he can and hoping for the best, you know. So I think it will be Graveman. I'm 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 actually telling people that are asking me to go leaning towards Graveman. Um, obviously we'll see how that works out, works out in spring training. There'll probably be some talk about that further on, but I think based on how the White Sox manage things and how conservative they are with most things, I think that's going to be Graveman. Yeah. It's almost impossible to speculate on a timeline. You know, I've got some cancer in my family in the past. You'd never really know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really impossible to say, you know, uh, and, and again, this is so secondary. I feel like an asshole even talking about it. But like, <laughs> are we dra- are we drafting Liam Hendricks? You know, at the, at the in a DC or any kind of league? Are you are you comfortable drafting him anywhere? It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I think if I get down to my last round, and I'm looking at my team, and I think that there's a spot there, um, why not throw a dart at that point and see what happens? I mean. Who knows? You know, maybe he goes into remission here. And the the White Sox did say that they are not going to have any updates on his health until uh, opening day. So they're they're anticipating that he's going to be out for a while and and rightfully so. But again, if there's anybody that can ramp up quickly, it would be him. Right. So, like, I could see a situation where they get to opening day and they say, hey, guess what? Liam's going out to, you know, extended spring training and he's going to come and kick everyone's ass May 1st. You know, like. It could happen. Um, I I would not be uh, upset throwing a dollar at him or a dart throw him in at the end of a of a draft uh, and hoping for the best. Well, God willing, everything is okay for Liam Hendricks. I know it's a fantasy podcast. We're talking to White Sox. We have to touch on it. It's obviously very much in the background. Uh, his health is very much so the most important thing here. Mike, I, I've kept you for much longer than I anticipated, and I, I really appreciate you you taking the time out of your day. I know you got another pod going on later today. <laughs> uh, anything else that you want to just you know summarize the White Sox with here before we let you go? No, I I think just you know we've kind of touched on everything. I, I think that they're going to be better this year. I don't know how much better they're going to be. I think that they're going to have uh, much better management. They're going to have much more consistent roles within the bullpen that they didn't have under La Russa. I think it's going to be much more smooth sailing. I, I do think that this team can win 90 games. I do think that they should win the division, even with Carlos Correa signing in, in um, Minnesota. I still think that they're the best team in the division. I think the signings of Benintendi and Clevenger uh, were, were astute signings. I think that the Clevenger is going to be an upgrade over Cueto. I know a lot of people don't see that now, but I think he's going to be Benintendi is going to bring a lot to the team. I, I really would love to see them get, 
somebody to play second base, whether that be, you know, there's been a lot of rumor about uh, guys like Brandon Lau um, possibly being on the move or even a guy like Joey Wendell, I think would be a great fill in for the White Sox. They, they're going to need something there. I think I don't think that they have guys that are ready to play that position and they know that they can't play Lori Garcia every day. Uh, Rick Hahn said that already. So I think it's going to be a better season. I'm looking forward to it being a, a more joyful season for me and Jack to be able to watch uh, more games this year. It was really hard to explain to an 11 year old why the Sox were so bad with all these name talent guys on the team. Um, as he gets older now and watches the games more, he starts to understand what's really happening though and understands how hard the game is. So I think it's going to be a fun season. I, I, I obviously have optimism at the beginning of every season. I do think that they can win the division. However, I don't see this team as currently constructed as being able to dance with the big boys. I don't see them being able to beat Houston. I don't think that they're better than Seattle. I don't think that they're better than the Yankees. Um, So they're good enough to win the division, which is the story of my life watching the White Sox, but not probably good enough to win the whole thing. It's a long season. That's why we played the games. You never know what's going to happen. Philadelphia, no one would have thought they would have danced with the big dogs this year, but went to the World Series. You never know, Mike. There is still hope for you and Jack. And of course, everybody else down there in Chicago. Uh, you can find Mike's work over at Fantrax, also at Nine Inning Know It All. He just dropped an article this morning on Fantrax talking about potential breakout relievers. You guys should go check that one out. Uh, you can find the link at his Twitter at MDRC0508, the best Twitter handle in the fantasy baseball business. It's the, abs- it's the absolute worst. <laughs> no, it's great. It's your it's your calling card at this point. Uh, you guys will be able to find this pod at the Ethos Fantasy BB feed. That's E T H O S Fantasy. BB. You can find my personal account at Joe Orico 99 and we'll be back here tomorrow. We'll pick up first base. I know we were going to do first base review uh, preview position rankings today. Uh, we're going to finish that off, but we'll do it tomorrow and then we'll continue with these uh, position breakdowns uh, throughout the rest of the offseason. But Mike, I really appreciate you uh, coming on for the first one. It was a great time, man. Joe, thanks again for having me. I think you're doing an amazing job. You know, we we went back to last year, too. Um, you're putting out quality content all the time. You're a great person. It was really nice to hang out with you in Arizona with some of the other folks that were down there as well. And I look forward to doing that again. And I look forward to coming back on the pod with you again sometime in the near future. Mike, it's always a pleasure. You're welcome. Anytime we talk White Sox, we talk relievers, we talk any number of topics. You you are the guy that we that we turn to here. So Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, make sure you check out Mike's work. He is fantastic. The triple play uh, fantasy baseball beat is the title, right? Fantasy baseball beat. Yeah. Fantasy baseball beat. And uh, we're recording the Cubs podcast tonight with Sarah Sanchez, which is going to be great. Okay. Uh, got some other great guests coming up here in the next few weeks as well. So thanks for the plug, Joe. I appreciate it. No, you deserve it, man. You guys do great work over there. Go check out the triple play fantasy feed, all the stuff that Mike does and everything that we do here as well at uh, sportsethos.com. guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, take care. Cheers.